Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we are your church. We are your children. We are your creation. Lord, you know us intimately. Father God, for every single person that's here, for every family represented, Father, you know where we're at right now. And Lord, we thank you that we are never beyond your reach. We are never beyond your grace. We are never beyond your line of vision. And Father, help us find the way back to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be alive this morning, hey? Yes? Oh, one person. Thank you. One of us. I mean, no matter where you're from or what you're doing, the one thing we can pretty much safely say we all have in common this morning is that we are sitting here alive. And I must tell you something, and it's, it's actually, it's not something I share with pride. It's, it's, it's an embarrassing story. But when I was younger, we had a next-door neighbor who was a nurse, and I remember seeing on TV shows how she were, how, how, you know, like when they find a person lying there, all the actors or the paramedics or whatever they're pretending to be will always put their fingers here on their neck somewhere. I don't know. And I asked her, I must have been probably about nine or 10. And I still said, why, why do you, why do they do that? And she said to me, because that's the last place in the body that the pulse will generally stop. Not a word of a lie. For like, a year or two after that, I used to walk around like this and like this. And every so often, if I couldn't feel my pulse, you must know the panic. I was like, and it just, I suppose a child's mind and a child's understanding of what it is, I suppose now you can look back and laugh, but at the time it was a real anxiety for me. I was kind of worried if my pulse stops, how long do I have before I'm gone, you know? And it's, it's an interesting topic because I want to speak a little bit about life this morning. And in fact, I'm a teacher. I teach grade six. And this term for science, our theme is life and living. And so I posed the question to my class this last week. I said, what is life? I mean, you're all alive. And they all went, yes. And I said, so what is life? And they were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. You know, and there's a very scientific way of determining things that are alive and things that aren't or things that are living and non-living. And living things, if you go into the to Google and you look up the definition, living things by definition are systems that have movement, they have some form of respiration, they have some form of production, they have some form of nourishment that they need, they have some form of getting rid or disregarding, discarding of their waste. And so there's a very scientific thing that determines, okay, this is life and this is not, this is living and this is non-living. But there's a little bit more to life than just the system that we are. I mean, each and every single one of us is alive. But there's a little bit more to us than just the state of being alive. And one of the most quoted Bible verses out there is John 10.10, where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. And we love that verse. We love that, that there's this abundance of life that's available. And very often people will use that in the prosperity gospel. They'll very often come along and go, this is it. God wants you to be rich and famous and have a comfortable life because he's promised you not just an ordinary life. He's promised you this amazing life. And we love to cling on to that verse going like, yes, my life, if I follow Christ, will always be 100% tops. There'll never be any downhills. There'll never be any dark moments. There'll never be any trouble. I'm going to have full wallets, a a plentiful table, you know, and people are going to look at me and go, wow, God has blessed you. And that's often the way that we perceive those kind of verses. Like, yes, I'm going to have life and I'm going to have a good one. But you know what? To take the words of Jesus And to narrow them down to just our own personal physical 
comfort is to cheapen them and to kind of take them at surface level when there's so much more that he intended behind it. I mean, the Greek definition of abundantly, if you go and look it up, where Jesus said, I came to give you life and I came to give you life in abundance. The definition of abundance is a sense of beyond, super abundance, superior in quality, beyond measure. It's this greatness that we would have a hard time putting into words. It's this greatness that we can't in our human capacity comprehend. But Christ has said, I've come to give you life and give you life abundantly. But then if we look just ahead of that in the verse, the word for life that he uses there is not the Greek word for living in the sense of you being alive. It's the Greek word for existing in an, what's the word I'm looking for, an essential sense, as in the very essence of our spirit. It's not just about having a comfortable life while we're here on earth. It's about giving us a true and deep and meaningful life that's in Christ. It's not just physically alive and physically comfortable. It's life in the very essence of who God is and what he created us to be. It is spiritual life that Christ offers us. And so often we miss that because we get so distracted by the physical around us and the things I think I want and the things I think I need that we sometimes miss the things that God is actually trying to give us in that life. The word that he uses for life is the word zoe. We use it for often girls' names, um, and it literally means life. We were made not just to live, but to truly have life in Christ. And this morning, I know we're pressed for time, and I promise you I won't speak long, but I want to look at what it is to truly have the life that Christ offers us. C.S. Lewis, one of my dad's all-time favorite authors, um, and a very wise spiritual man, he said this, It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird, but it would be a jolly sight harder for a bird to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are like eggs at present, and you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. You see, just like I was teaching my class this week, one of the things about being alive, things that are alive like plants and people and animals, one of the key things that shows that we are alive is that we grow and we change. Within our own spiritual lives, there's got to be a growth and there's got to be a change that happens, not just once off, but on a constant basis. Because just like C.S. Lewis was saying, we're right now, we're eggs. God's hatching something in us. But if we never truly hatch, What are the choices there other than to go bad? We've got to be pushing forward. We've got to keep growing. I want to show you, I've got a map here of two bodies of water. You should recognize them straight away. The top one, you see the little lake at the top there and then the one at the bottom. Those are two of the lowest points on the planet. They're the lowest below sea level. And the top one is called the Sea of Galilee which you would have read about. I mean, just off the side of it, you can see Nazareth there, which is where Jesus was born. He did a lot of his preaching, a lot of his ministry in the region of the Sea of Galilee, which is the top one there where it says Tiberius. It's the the Sea of Galilee. Below the Sea of Galilee, a few hundred kilometers down, we come across another huge lake of water. Does anyone know what that one is? It's called the Dead Sea. Everyone heard of the Dead Sea before? And the Dead Sea, as the name implies, is dead. 
And the reason we call it the Dead Sea is because it is so incredibly salty that nothing can really live there. No plants really grow. No animals can thrive. You can go to the Dead Sea. Has anyone here been to the Dead Sea? I believe you can float about in it like a cork. It is 10 times saltier than the ocean. Like you couldn't sink in the Dead Sea even if you tried. Am I right? There's photos of people with their newspapers lying on the surface. The Dead Sea is incredibly, incredibly salty. Um, Yet there's a huge difference between these two bodies of water which are on the same sort of line and are in fact fed by the same source. The Jordan River flows into both of them. They both have the exact same source, yet they have vastly different appearances. Would you mind going to the actual photo of the Sea of Galilee? So on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, that's what it looks like. It is a thriving place. There are, there's industry, there's settlements, there's... Am I getting this wrong? Is it? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to talk to her afterwards. Or something. You're like, yes, that's the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> no, it's Durban. It's Midmar Dam. <laughs> um, you see how I distract myself? Okay, so that's the Sea of Galilee. I don't need to stand here and be like, look at all the life. You can see the buildings. You can see the trees. There's, there's animals in the water. The next picture, if you guys will get there for me, is the Dead Sea. And it's very pretty. I mean, look at that. It's like mirror water. That's the Dead Sea. But you can see all around it. I mean, I think those things are in attempted palm trees. They're obviously not doing very well. They're not thriving. And as pretty as the Dead Sea might be, it still remains dead. Two bodies of water fed by the exact same source, yet one of them is thriving with life, and the other one, literally, its name encompasses what it is. What is the difference between them? They both have the same source coming into them. The main difference is this. The Sea of Galilee has its source coming in, and it has a source going out. The Dead Sea has an inlet but it has absolutely no outlet. And so that water sits and it mineralizes. And as water evaporates from it, that salt sits and gets saltier and saltier and saltier. It's a perfect illustration of our lives and what it is to have life in Christ. You see, we can all be connected to the source. That's good. That's, that's the best way to be alive is be connected to the source of our life. But we also need to realize that in this walk with Christ, in our time here on earth, we are called not just to receive from the source, but to also let him flow through us and out of us. If we truly want to find life, it's not just about being connected and taking as much as I can. Because you know what? We can be great. We can have all the knowledge in the world. I mean, Jesus with the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew everything. Scribes and the Pharisees could quote scripture to you backwards. Yet Jesus called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Can we go back to that picture of the, the Dead Sea? Whitewashed, beautiful to look at, but full of nothing inside. Literally nothing lives in those waters. We can have all the source that can be coming to us, but if we never let it flow through us and out of us, and we never let God use us, we become stagnant and mineralized and essentially dead inside. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 to 18 says this, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So just the verse ahead of this, he's speaking about how when people still read Moses, they read it with the veil over their face. And if you were... Um, <clears throat> 
he did our World Collide series, you know, the significance of the veil and it being torn. But basically, there used to be a separation between us and God. But when we turn to the Lord now, as we are, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. In other words, we've got nothing between us and God. We can look at God. We can contemplate His glory. We can have a direct relationship with Him. It says this, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image, into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. I want to emphasize that word there. We are being transformed. If you think back to your English lessons at school, being is the participle. It's a present participle. In other words, it's a continuous tense. It's something that is a state of continuance. It keeps on happening. When we come to God, yes, there can be an instant change and an instant turnaround, but we mustn't stay there. We don't put aside the bad things and go, okay, now I'm done. We have this constant striving and and this constant hunger to change and to transform and to become what God has created us to be. Romans 12 verse 2 tells us that this transformation happens by the renewing of our mind, constantly having that source flow into us and then also constantly being the change in the world that God has, has commanded us to be. We're being changed from one form to another the closer we are to the source. I know I'm not supposed to say this, but is this making sense this morning? Is everyone okay? I'm getting lots of like dead, like really, really is this what we're talking about now? Dead stairs, not death stairs. <laughs> you see, we are created to be in the likeness of Christ. And it's not something that we force upon ourselves. I don't know how to explain this other than you put a seed in the ground The seed isn't going, I must grow, I must grow, I must grow. The seed is in the right conditions. There's water, there's nourishment, there's sunlight, and it grows. When we place ourselves in the right condition, that growth for us becomes natural. I'm not putting a heavy on anyone this morning going, oh, here's the pressure, you must grow. I'm saying position yourself with God, and the growth will happen naturally. There will naturally be that change. And what we are called to do as we transform into the likeness of his son, as we follow the image that Christ is, he says to us, I've placed you here for a purpose, which is what we're going to be talking about in a few weeks' time. And what he wants us to do is not become these isolated sources that just kind of take from him with no outflow. He wants us to receive and at the same time to give. My son has got, it's only a small bedroom, but it is stacked with toys. My kids are very blessed. We've got a, lots of aunts and uncles that spoil them. And, you know, they get lots and lots and lots of toys. And recently, just before Christmas, I had a look at, the, at his room, which is essentially a toy room. He's looking at me like this. Like, hmm, are you going to say, what about my toys? <laughs> He's got this, this, these toys. And I'm going, boy, we, we've got to clean some of these out. Like, there's no space for the new Christmas presents that are coming because there's just a mess of things. And it was, it was a bit of a battle. And the more I packed stuff in bags, the more he unpacked. So no, but I still like this. And this is still mine. And sometimes it can be, it can be difficult to let things go. But you know what? When we are, when we are allowing God to flow through us, when we are allowing him to, he gives us gifts and we give those gifts away, there's space for more gifts. 
And that's what the, the true life that we are called to live in Christ is. I mean, Jesus was the biggest celebrity ever. I mean, he could have, I, I think I've said this before, he could have done, you know, like you get the celebrities that have their bodyguards and they, have, they stay in the top-notch hotels and they you expect everyone to wait on them hand and foot. If anyone who has ever lived can expect to have been waited on hand and foot, it was Jesus Christ himself. The King of kings, the Lord of lords in human form here on earth, you know, he could have snapped his fingers and had a million servants around him in an instant. Except Jesus' attitude of what it was to be human and to live was very different to the way we sometimes view it. In Matthew 20, verse 28, he says this. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' attitude was never one of, you must serve me. It was one of, how can I serve those around me? In John, thir- in John chapter 13, we read a very powerful story, and sometimes it's so glanced over because we don't, we don't maybe nowadays have this kind of thing happening in our houses. But um, in biblical times, obviously people generally walked wherever they were going. The roads were very dusty, so you, you'd get people that would arrive at your house and they'd be pretty full up of dust. And they would have dust all over their feet because they had their sandals that they wore. And one of the ways to honor the guests coming into your home was you had a servant who was available. It was the lowliest job in the house. It was like the lowest ranking servant who completed this task. And it was to wash the feet of the guests who had come into your house. They come to have dinner or stay. And you would have a servant ready to wash their feet. And so Jesus is now about to have a meal with his disciples. And the Bible tells us that he he wraps a towel around himself. And in uh, John 13 verse 3 it says this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He had come from God. He had all things under his power and he was returning to God. And then it says, so. So what did he do? If it comes to you, be like, you've got all the power in the world. What are you going to do? So Jesus knew who he was. He had all the power all things under him. He knew what his mission was. And then it says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The most powerful being on the planet was willing to do what was considered the most menial task to further the kingdom of God. And then his disciples are going to him like, Peter, there's a bit of a conversation. He's like, no, 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 you mustn't wash my feet. And he's going, but this is what I've come to do. This is the whole point in in the life that Christ lived. Wasn't to live it for himself, but to live it for others. The, the, The direct source himself shared that gift and spread that gift and there was an outlet and a flow and he served those around him. If we go to verse 12, it says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, 
for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We are not one of us greater than Christ. And if he instructed us to wash the feet of others, then that is exactly what we should be doing. How do we best live our fullest and our most abundant lives here on earth? We live them looking outwards. We live them as servants. C.S. Lewis said, it's not humility. Being, being able to be a servant isn't about thinking of yourself, thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. It means we know exactly who we are. Jesus wasn't putting on some false humility. He wasn't going, oh, I'm going to pretend to be what I'm not. He's going, I know exactly who I am. I know exactly all the power at my fingertips. But this is what I am designed to do. This is what I am called to do. We can be the most powerful person in the room, yet if we don't have a servant's heart, we are wasting the life that God would have us live. Guys, the best way for us to, to serve God and, and be, be true images of Christ is to serve those around us. And not to do it for show. Not to do it so that everyone can look at me, look at me. And I'm not just talking about plugging in here at church and finding a way to use your, your talents and use your resources to help the church. I'm talking about every step of the way. Having that servant heart where you go, how can I help? How can I serve? Sometimes people will know you're serving, sometimes they won't. We were at the beach the other day, and it was what? It was last Sunday. And it was quite busy that day. And um, it was late in the afternoon. And there were families and gazebos, and of course, where there's families and people, there's generally litter. And there was one guy walking around the beach, and I watched him. At first, I thought he's just picking up his litter. No, he wasn't. And I'm not talking about like a guy who works for the municipality who's paid to do this. I'm talking about a guy who was there with his family and went, hey, I see a gap. I see a need. And he picked up a packet and just quietly walked around and was picking up litter. And he must have walked quite far because then he came back. So he must have done at least sort of like a 50-meter stretch of beach, you know, around himself. Picked up all the little bits and pieces, went and put them in the bin. Not for any big show, but because there was a need. And he wasn't too proud to go, I'll fill that need. It's not about thinking less of ourselves. It's about thinking of ourselves less. The two greatest commandments that Jesus gave us were love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as you love yourself. When we love, we serve. I'm going to finish off and I wanted to say something and please don't take this the wrong way. This is not meant to be an insult. Like you hate it when so I hate it when my husband apologizes before he said what he's going to say because then I know it's going to be bad. <laughs> I'm about to do that. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need one of us. He's the creator of the universe. 
He hasn't got this, this he's got this plan, but his plan doesn't hinge on us. We're not something that he has to tolerate because otherwise the plan will fail. There's no pressure. God doesn't need us. He wants us. And he knows that the best thing for us is himself. And if you know that the best thing for your children is whatever it is, then you're going to encourage your children and and point them in that direction. And God knows that there's nothing and there's no one that's greater than him. And that's not a, it's not a sort of egotistical thing. You're not like, oh, God's so proud. No, he's God. I mean, if anyone's got the right to go, I'm God, I'm in control and I know best, it's God. Because if he didn't say that, he wouldn't be God. And God doesn't need us. This is not something where he has to put up with us and go, oh, I really don't like that person, but, you know, I'll just slot them in anyway. He desperately wants us, and he loves us because he's got our best interests at heart. He wants to give us that life. He wants us to have an abundant, full life, but he knows the best way to do that is to live in the image of his son, Jesus. And the best way to do that is to have a servant heart where we live for God, we have a source, we have an inflow, but we also have an outflow. And I promise you that the more we have that servanthood, the more we have that willingness to serve others, to fill in the gaps here in the church, out in the workplace, within the community, wherever we find that way to fill the gap, we will find ourselves being transformed more and more into the image of our Father. Can we pray? Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the source of life. You are the life giver. You have designed us. You have created us. Each of us has a talent. Each of us has a unique sphere of influence. Lord, help us to use those lives to honor you. Help us, Lord, to keep seeking the source. But, Lord, help us to also remember to let the source flow through us to others. Lord, you have called us a city on a hill. You have called us light in the darkness. Father, may that be true in every aspect of our lives. May we shine your grace. May we shine your glory. And may we point the way to you in everything we do. Father, keep us humble. Keep us growing. Keep us changing, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.